Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is week four of our study of Christology, the study of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this time, what we're going to talk about is the promise of his coming, as well as the nature of his redemption. So, it shouldn't be a surprise to us to know that the coming of Jesus Christ was something that had been foretold for a very long time. And then when the time finally came for him to come, those that were a part of that arrival were most overjoyed. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a few different passages within the Gospel of Luke that illustrates the joy of his arrival, and then we will look at the significance of his arrival when it comes to the redemption of mankind. So we're going to look at, beginning in Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at a few different things that leads up to the arrival of Jesus Christ. So for the people of Israel, the idea of God being their Redeemer is not a new concept, because we see throughout the Old Testament that God performed major acts of redemption for his people. And we have that recorded throughout the Old Testament in the form of songs. Some of the songs that you can see are, for example, the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, celebrating the redemption of Israel from Egypt. We have the Song of Deborah in Judges chapter 5, when they celebrated the defeat of the Canaanites. You have the Psalms, which there are many Psalms about that. But none of these compare to the songs of the arrival of the Son of God. And so we're going to look at three songs in particular in the Gospel of Luke that are major celebrations of the coming of Jesus Christ. So before Jesus was born, there was something that was called the Annunciation. And that was when the angel Gabriel went to Mary and announced that she was going to become pregnant with the Messiah through a virgin birth. So naturally, the first song that we're going to look at is what is called the Magnificat. So the three songs that we're going to explore today are going to be referred to by their Latin name. And the reason why they have this particular Latin name is because that is the first word in Latin for that particular piece of scripture. Now, we have to be careful with our understanding of the Magnificat, and I think that by reading through it and exploring Mary as an individual, we will see that she is not the same Mary as how Catholics view this psalm. So, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, he has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those 
who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So perhaps the first observation we can make in here is that Mary obviously knew her scripture. So bear in mind that this was about 400 years after the final book of the Old Testament was written, which is the book of Malachi. So at this point, the entire Old Testament that we know today, which back then was called the Law and the Prophets, was complete. So there was the entire account of the Old Testament already prepared and already understood by the people of Israel in this day. And Mary is no exception to that. We don't really know how old Mary is at this time period, but given the culture and when people would marry at that time, we can assume that she was a teenager, somewhere between 14 to 16 years old, when she was going to become pregnant with the Messiah. So for her to be that young and yet have a good understanding of Scripture like that, it's no wonder that God chose her to be a worthy candidate of the virgin birth, because she obviously loved the Lord and she knew her Scripture. So the Magnificat is the song that Mary sings when she is contemplating the announcement by Gabriel of being the bearer of the Son of God. And you can see that from the very beginning, she is overwhelmed with joy and with appreciation that she was the one selected. Being the mother of the Holy One of Israel has given her an unspeakable privilege. And so what she does is she glorifies the Lord with it. Nowhere in there does she magnify herself. The only thing that she says about herself is, from this time forward, all generations will call me blessed. That's not necessarily a statement of pride or arrogance. She knows that throughout key points in history, they are recorded for future generations. So it's almost as if she knew that the song that she was going to sing and the events that are going to unfold are going to be preserved for future generations to see. So I find that fascinating that perhaps she had a glimpse as to what is occurring today is going to be recorded for all those who are going to see this in the future. So what we see is a raw, unadulterated, pure worship of God over how powerful he is and all the things that he's done throughout history leading up to this point. That's the only logical way to respond to such joy is to give it back to the Lord in song. And that's exactly what she did. Mary declares that God has pulled down the mighty and the proud from their seats of power. She understands that this baby is tied to the expectations of Israel since he has been foretold since the Garden of Eden. And she states that he was going to be born in the fullness of time, that Greek word pleroma, the fullness of time. This was the exact time that was going to be prescribed for the coming of the Son of God. Everything that happened prior to this in history was leading up to this singular moment in time. But not only that, 
But this birth was going to be the fulfillment of all the ancient covenants, especially the ones that were made to Abraham. If you recall the promise that God made to Abraham, that he was going to multiply his descendants as the stars of the sky. Now, the Hebrew people took that very literally, as do the Arabs. The Arabs are also children of Abraham, because if you recall, he had two sons. He had Isaac, who was the father of all the future Israelites, but he also had Ishmael. And Ishmael was the father of the Arab people. And so even today, they call Abraham their father. But we understand from what the Bible says is that Isaac was chosen to be the lineage of the Messiah, and his was the chosen line. So the proper understanding of this is that the descendants of Abraham are people like us. We are descendants of Abraham. Because the Jewish people thought that it was a bloodline. But in reality, we are not probably related to Abraham by blood. However, we are spiritual descendants. Just like we're going to see in one of the other songs today, the Gentiles are involved in this as well. They are part of this fulfillment of prophecy and the fulfillment of the ancient covenants. So the Gentiles are very much descendants of Abraham if they belong to Jesus Christ. Now, before we move any further into the next Messianic hymns, I want to do play a game of comparison here. So there is another person in the Old Testament that sang a song similar to Mary, and I want to see if we can draw any sort of comparisons here. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. What we're going to do is we're going to explore the song of Hannah. Now, if we remember who Hannah is, she is the mother of Samuel, who Samuel is a prophet, and he's also the final judge of Israel before the kings start coming into play. And she was the favored wife of a man who had another wife, and the other wife was having a lot of children, but Hannah was barren. She was not able to have children. And yet the husband loved her so much. And she made a promise to God when she went to pray at the tabernacle. And that was, if Lord, you give me a son, I will dedicate him completely to your service. And the Lord listened to her and gave her a son and named him Samuel. And this is what she sung in response. And see if you can draw any comparisons here. Verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There was no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, 
but those who were hungry ceased to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. So from the very beginning of this psalm, we can tell that Hannah is similar to Mary in that she loves the Lord, and she knows her scripture. She has a deeper understanding of who God is than your average person. So what we see here is we have two children, Jesus and Samuel, who are going to be raised in a godly household with a godly mother. So if we understand that having a godly home with godly parents is important, this is a biblical example of that right here. But beyond just the celebration of the time of the child being born, both of the ladies go deeper into an understanding of who God is. Because how he handles the proud how he handles the arrogant, how he's able to do the impossible, how he's able to reverse things instantly. The ones that are hungry, he can make full. The ones that are full, he can make hungry. He's just majestic and powerful and wise. And then Hannah ends with a prophetic utterance. She says that the Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king. Now, what's interesting about this is that there were no kings yet. In fact, the idea of a king being over Israel was not even announced yet until Samuel was an older man. So this was not referring to an earthly king. This is referring to the Messiah. The Lord will give strength to his Messiah and will exalt the horn of his anointed the Messiah. So this is beautiful to see that even as far back as the book of Samuel, we see that the Messiah is prophesied to be the Savior of the world. And we see that through the actions that God took to change the life of a woman named Hannah. Such beauty in that, the Holy Spirit speaking to us thousands of years ago through a woman named Hannah. So now that we've completed the Song of Hannah and the Magnificat. Let's move to the second song of the book of Luke. The second song is called the Benedictus, and you can find that in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 68. This is the song of Zechariah, or Zacharias, depending on your translation of the Bible. But Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And the Bible tells us that John the Baptist is a blood relative of Jesus. 
because Mary is cousins with Elizabeth. So we know the background of what's going on here. So an angel told Zacharias that he was going to have a son, and he thought it was ridiculous. And because he was not believing what the angel said, he caused him to become mute. And since the time he became mute, Elizabeth got pregnant. And then they came to the point where they were going to name the child. And he was supposed to be named John. But nobody in the family was named John. And traditionally, you were named something else from the family line. But you see Zacharias in the corner over here get a little tablet. And he writes on the tablet, his name is John. And as soon as he says that on the tablet and shows everyone, then the Lord unloosens his tongue and he's able to speak. And this is when he gives a prophetic message. And we see this here in verse 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in righteousness and holiness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the song known as the Benedictus, because it starts with the word blessed, and that word in the Latin is Benedictus. So we see Zacharias focuses on the visitation of God, not only the current visitation, but also how he has done it in the past, and what the significance of this particular visit is to the Hebrew people. Because again, he even declares that it is a fulfillment of the word spoken to Abraham. So the word visitation here is based on a verb from which we get the noun that is translated as bishop, which is episkopos. So if you have the Episcopal Church, that's kind of where that comes from. So the word episkopos is translated as bishop. So what this word literally means when you form the parts of the word together, is someone that looks intently at what is being examined. So this is a little bit different from the modern understanding of what a bishop is, because when I hear the word bishop, I hear of a high official of the Catholic Church. But that's not what the Bible describes as a bishop. So the episcopos, or bishop, was actually a military person. The episcopos is the general of the armies that would go to the military bases and would review the troops. They'd evaluate them, 
They would make sure that they are trained properly, be auditing their methods and doing inspections on the soldiers themselves for aptitude and physical ability. So we see the proclamation by Zacharias here that Jesus is the episkopos of our souls. Very interesting language that he is the bishop of our souls. He is the one that looks intently at our souls and reviews us and he proves us. And he's the one that causes us to be approved by God. So it's very interesting how he does that. And he's the one who looks at the heart and he changes our heart. So that's a fascinating understanding because you would at a glance think that this is about John the Baptist completely, but it's not. It's about Jesus Christ as well. The Jews had been longing for this day for centuries. And I'm sure that there were some that were excited about it. There were some that thought that it would never come. And I'm sure there were some that were afraid of it. Because the day of visitation, the day when the Lord would visit his people, could go two different ways. It could be a day of utter joy, or it could be a day of fear. There are times in their past where the Lord did visit them. In the Old Testament, there were times when God would visit his people. We think of the time when he spoke to them from Mount Sinai in the Exodus, the time when he went to the tabernacle and he indwelled it, the time when the temple was built and he went and his presence came into the temple. We also see those times where he allowed his presence to leave them and then they get conquered by other people. So in their past, there were times when God's redemptive nature was present and then there were times where they were delivered into the hand of their enemies. So the people of Israel were not sure what kind of a day this was. They hoped for a day where this was going to be a day of redemption, but it could have been a day of darkness, a day of judgment. But praise the Lord that it was a day of redemption, not only for the people of Israel, but for the entire world. Now, the third and final song we're going to look at in the Gospel of Luke is the Nunc Dimittis, and that is going to be in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 29. This is a very short one, but it's a very good one. So there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, and he was a righteous and devout man, and he was looking for something called the Consolation of Israel. And it says in verse 25 that the Holy Spirit was upon him and that it was revealed to him that the Holy Spirit would not let him die until he had seen the Christ with his own eyes. So when he came into the temple led by the Holy Spirit, he sees this child. And so we see that he takes the child into his arms and then he speaks from the Holy Spirit. This is where we pick it up in verse 29. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. That one is so easily overlooked, isn't it? A light of revelation to the Gentiles. So this is 
announcing right here, even before Jesus fulfills his earthly ministry, that this is going to be for the Jews and the Gentiles. So this was always understood that this was going to be the case. So while the Magnificat and the Benedictus explicitly mention Christ as the one fulfilling the covenants made to Abraham, Simeon's song points to something else. Not only is the Christ the one who will fulfill the covenants, but it's not just for Israel. It's for the entire world of the Gentiles. Now we see through these three songs that the Lord is magnified in the arrival of the Son of God. Now let me ask you a few questions to consider here. There are many Christians today who have read and reread the entire New Testament, but yet they have never really taken a solid look at the Old Testament. Now that we've looked at these three songs in the New Testament, do we believe that we can fully understand the significance of this arrival or the understanding of who the Christ is supposed to be if we've never read the Old Testament? There's that school of thought that, well, the Old Testament is old news, and we don't need that anymore. We just need the New Testament. That's not correct. We need a proper understanding of the context of what led up to this point. We, if we did not know who the Christ was and what he was expected to be, it really waters down and diminishes his coming because we don't know who we're looking forward to. And why is it important that we celebrate the Christ? See, we don't understand the Old Testament concepts of the Messiah, then we will never understand the New Testament full implications of what this means. Now, many Protestants, Christians like you and me, are fearful that any kind of respect for Mary borders on Roman Catholicism. But didn't we explore that she was not magnifying herself? Couldn't we agree, just like Hannah, that she was not magnifying herself? She was magnifying the Lord, and she was humbled by the experience, and she knew the significance of this day. So it was nothing about her, and her attitude was in complete submission to God. So we shouldn't see that she exalted herself and that she's some great person. She was used for a very special role, but that's about it. Other than that, she was a normal human woman. We don't infer anything else out of this, that she gained any divine powers, that she shared in the responsibilities with the Son of God, that she was sinless. We don't see any of that, nor should we pull that from anywhere because that is falsehood. She was a simple Hebrew woman who submitted to her Lord, knew her Lord intimately in his ways, and magnified him in the day of the, the arrival of the Son of God. That's how far it should go. Now, there's a very important distinction that we have to talk about. So, when Gabriel foretells the birth of Jesus to Mary, he tells her that her son will be called the Son of the Most High. Think of, Remember that title for a moment, the Son of the Most High. When we read the Benedictus of Zacharias, he says that John will be called the prophet of the Most High. This is a very significant difference in title, isn't it? 
One is specifically going to be the Lord in the flesh, and then the other is going to be a prophet of the Lord. So his office of being a prophet was foretold since even before this, since the time of Malachi. But John the Baptist is not going to be the Christ, right? We understand that. One office is going to support the other directly. So we have to understand that there is a distinction between Jesus and John the Baptist in these two Psalms. Martin Luther said something about the Magnificat that I think is something we need to remember. He said that Mary's song was about the great works and deeds of God for the strengthening of our faith, for the comforting of all those of low degree, and for the terrifying of all the mighty ones of earth. We are to let the hymn serve this threefold purpose, for she sang it not for herself alone, but for us all, to sing it after her. That's why she said, all the generations after me will be blessed. So as we look at these different songs today, we need to let these words strengthen our faith. Let them comfort you with the truth of God's faithfulness. And overall, let it be humbling to you. Humble your pride in the presence of God. Consider how he who is mighty has not only done great things for Mary and for Zacharias and for Simeon, but also for you. The significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ applies directly to us today. So consider the tender mercy of God toward you, that he brought salvation to you. You did not ask for it. You did not feel you needed it but he gave it to you anyway, through his grace and through his love. Give him thanks today for the forgiveness of your sins provided through the one who was born from Mary. Let us strive to walk like these people and walk by faith and look forward to what's coming. We know what's coming because it's already been written. We know that our Lord will return one day and he will conquer the world in our name. And he will be glorified forever and ever as the King of kings, Lord of lords. We will be rescued from evil, and the world will be judged. We have that to look forward to. Satan will be destroyed. We have everything to look forward to, and we need to keep that in mind as we go through our days. And that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.